Eagle Vision's production of Taken, the podcast, deals with mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. My cousin, Colton Pratt, a beautiful two-spirited young man, went missing from Winnipeg in 2014. My family has been searching for him ever since. Every parent worries about their kid going out, whether it's to the mall or a school activity or a friend's house. You just don't know what's out there. I even worry about my adult sons and of course, my young daughter. All missing kids should be equally valued and loved and missed. The fact is, statistically speaking, Indigenous kids are much more likely to go missing, to be murdered, to be the victims of violence than any other Canadian kid. Maisie Ojig was a 16-year-old from Kitagan-Zibi Anishinaabe Nation in Quebec. Her best friend, Shannon Alexander, was 17 from the nearby community of Manawaki, when on September 6, 2008, they vanished without a single clue. The girls spent a lot of time between each other's homes in the Algonquin First Nation of Kitagansibi and the French settlement of Manawaki, northwest of Montreal, Quebec. On Labor Day weekend in September 2008, the girls disappeared. At any time during this podcast or afterward, if you have any information that might help solve the case of the disappearance of Maisie Ojig and Shannon Alexander, visit our website. Someone out there has answers. Our goal is to find them. Maisie and Shannon were well known in their small communities. How could no one have seen them go missing? Why wasn't an Amber Alert issued? Are their cases linked? Here is the story of two friends, Maisie Ojig and Shannon Alexander. Earlier in the day on Friday, September 5th, Shannon was at Maisie's house helping with some yard work. Lori Ojig, Maisie's mom, remembers seeing them that final time. That Friday, I, I uh, brought a pot back to my mom. Uh, my mom was a stickler for her things and her pots and pans and she wanted her pot back and I remember bringing her pot back and she was mowing the lawn uh, with Shannon at the house and that was the last time I, I saw Maisie. The girls had plans to go to a dance in Manawaki that night and stay at Shannon's while her father was away in Ottawa. She had told me that day that she was going to Shannon's to spend the night with Shannon because her dad was going to the city to help his son um, with his apartment. Later that night, Maisie's brother, Damon Jacko, saw them briefly. The last time I saw her would probably be that night. It wasn't really that big of a deal. I just saw her on the street with her friends and I was with my friends and, and gave our hellos and what are you doing? And she went on her way. The girls went to a dance that night at the Manawaki Arena and were seen leaving together. As Lori remembers, when Maisie's grandmother hadn't heard from her granddaughter the next day, she started to worry. My mom um, was worried. I think it was the following day. And uh, she's like, she called me up and she said, have you heard from Maisie? She hasn't called home. 
Uh, she hasn't called me. And I said, no. I said, but, you know, I know they're teenage girls. They might have went out. I didn't think, you know, I, nobody ever does, really. I said, they're probably just sleeping. You know, they probably went out last night and, you know, and I said, they're probably still sleeping. Give it time. And it was a Saturday. And uh, she said, okay, well, we're going to wait for a while. Saturday came and went, and still there was no word from the girls. So Maisie's grandmother drove over to Shannon's place in Manawaki. Brian was home, and he was worried because there was no sign of the girls um, in the apartment. And Maisie had left her purse and, uh, and some belongings there as well as Shannon. And uh, he was worried because, you know, teenage girls take their stuff. Shannon's dad, Brian Alexander, also noticed something else. I got home, the dishes were dirty. I cleaned up all the kitchen. The only thing I noticed that was uh, funny in the house was <coughs> where my computer was, there was a light bulb there, and half the light bulb was broken. Then I'm looking for the shard of glass. I couldn't find none of the glass. I found it funny. Then I went outside and I looked through my garbage can, tipped it upside down, everything. Looking for the shards of glass to see if there was blood on them. I was wondering what in the heck happened here. Because Maisie was from Kitaganzibi First Nation, Lori notified their police department that the girls were missing. Gordon McGregor, director of the Kitaganzibi First Nation Police, shares the department's response. The mom had called and said, uh, Lori called uh, stating that she couldn't find her daughter and uh, she wanted us to check some homes. Our officer uh, did try to look for the girl. Uh, the very next day, uh, our officers met with Lori again uh, to get a statement and get all the necessary and pertinent information that we need to actually enter into the system as a missing person. At the beginning of the investigation, the family say that Maisie and Shannon were labeled as runaways, a conclusion they didn't accept. They, they deemed girls runaways. As to where I believe that's where the most damage was done for our girls. Shannon's cousin, Heather Crank, doesn't believe for a minute that her younger cousin would run away. Shannon wasn't a girl who was looking to get away. She was planning for her future. So if she wanted to escape, she would fight and she would work hard and she would get out that way by, you know, building a career or, like, she would get out that way. She wouldn't run away. Because of the runaway designation, a critical action was not taken. Had an Amber Alert been activated, the public and authorities would have been notified immediately and would have begun a wide-scale search for the girls. Maria Jacko, Maisie's aunt, doesn't understand why an Amber Alert wasn't activated. Them being 16, they're still underage. Like, no matter what the situation is, I think it's important that, you know, an Amber Alert should have been activated and it wasn't done in this case, you know? In addition to this, the girls were from two separate communities, which can present a jurisdictional dilemma. Kitaganzibi band counselor Claudette Commanda explains this quandary. You got the First Nation, which is an Algonquin jurisdiction. Then we have federal jurisdiction, which we fall under. Then there's provincial jurisdiction with their laws that have been imposed on us, and then the municipal jurisdiction. 
So you have these various levels of jurisdictions that are going to create problems. Conflicting opinions on this matter exist between community and police. Gordon McGregor, director of the Kitigan Zibi First Nation Police, gives his perspective. The splitting of the investigation is not really something that we were concerned about. Is that the fact that we were able to start moving on the uh, investigation as, qu as, mu as quickly as possible. The disappearance of Maisie Ojig and Shannon Alexander remains unsolved. After leaving the dance, were they followed home and lured away by an assailant? Who in the community knows what happened? The case is open and active and waiting for your tips to help find these girls. If you have any information, visit our website. Maisie Ojig and Shannon Alexander were teenagers when they went missing, having last been seen leaving a dance in Manawaki, Quebec. Both were looking forward to their plans for the future. Who took that away from them? Could they still be out there somewhere? These are a few of the many questions that Maisie and Shannon's families asked themselves day after day while holding on to the memories of these two precious girls. Shannon Alexander was born on March 29, 1991, and was raised by her dad, Brian Alexander. Brian remembers his daughter's love for animals. Animals, uh, that was all she cared about half the time of animals. She had five different pets in her bedroom. Shannon's Aunt Juanita adored her little niece. We would get her for a couple weeks at Christmas time and uh, get her with snowsuits and boots and, and get her ready. She liked it a lot. She liked everything to be matching. I remember she had a pink, a bright pink snowsuit. You could spot her from far away. <laughs> Shannon's cousin, Heather Crank, was like her big sister. Shannon was fun. She was fun. She was full of energy and she had an imagination and just there was never a time that I remember where I didn't want to go see her or hang out with her. Growing up with a single dad, Shannon learned a lot and followed in her family's footsteps. I taught her, taught her almost everything I, I could. On mechanics, uh, cooking, everything I, I knew I tried to teach her. She wanted to go in the military like me, so I got her to go into cadets. She was the best, uh, the best marksman in the school there. They were shooting like a 22 or something like that, but I taught my daughter how to shoot long years ago when she was just a little girl. Shannon's Aunt Juanita remembers Shannon's hopes and dreams. So being ex-military myself, then I know there's a lot of discipline being involved in, in how you dress and how you carry yourself, how you compose yourself. And I thought that would be good for her. That would give her some stability, some discipline. That's always good. And somewhere that she could get centered and start thinking about her future. And then mom said, uh, my mother said that she was planning on being a nurse. Brian remembers Shannon as a fighter who fought for others. Shannon was always an underdog. Anyone that any kid that had a problem of being gay or strange or Shannon would always back that kid up compared to the other individuals, you know what I mean? 
She always went for the underdog. Born in Kitigan, Zibi, Shannon's friend Maisie Ojig was a big sister and first born to her mother, Lori. Maisie, uh, she's a very creative um, soul as she is. You know, she liked to cut up and create her own clothes. And, um, you know, for our family, she was the one who put together all the birthdays and decorated for us. And she was a big part in that. And a big part of her siblings' life is what she she liked to do and spend time with them as much as she could. And, um, you know, very outspoken, stubborn, you know, and very, how you call, um, independent, independent individual. And so, uh, her spirit was amazing. Maisie's grandpa, Earl McGregor, remembers how playful Maisie was. We used to play like a dump truck, or play horsey in the dump truck. <laughs> They'd ride my shoulders and dump him on the bed. <laughs> Maisie was very close to her grandma, who passed away before Maisie could be found. Maisie lived there most of lived my mom and my dad most of her life actually. So Maisie was raised by my parents and, and Damon. My mom was really um, heartbroken. Um, I know she carried, a, carried that heavily in her heart when Maisie went missing. Maisie's grandfather Earl remembers the special times Maisie and her grandma used to share. She would berry picking, traveling, whatever we got to do, shopping. or just, They were very close and her grandma was very close to her. More so than she was to her grandmother, I think. <laughs> it was really a, they, had a, they had a bond, like, you know, because she was the firstborn, too, I guess, and she was really uh, close. As her brother Damon Jocko remembers, Maisie loved being a big sister. Well, you know, she's an older sister, always taking care of me, you know, always trying to make sure I'm safe or, you know, just being a guinea pig, more or less, whether it be, like, putting on makeup or, you know, just doing girly things that I wouldn't normally do because, you know, my older sister forced it upon me, but, you know, I liked it. Well, I know only so much, but yeah. Maisie and Shannon's family struggle each day not knowing what happened to them. Shannon's Aunt Juanita remembers the agony Brian was in, waiting for his daughter to come home. I couldn't imagine being Brian because Brian, he couldn't, he couldn't leave his house. He was waiting for her to call for a whole year. He waited. His hair turned white. He lost weight. If we called him on the phone, he didn't want to talk long because he might try to call. Lori Ojig feels the agony of losing her daughter as well. Not knowing. What happened to my daughter is the hardest thing I live with every day. Maisie Ojig and Shannon Alexander were very visible, very social. They went to dances. They had family in both Manawaki and Kitiganzibi, which are small communities. How could they just vanish? And why does this continue to happen to families across the country? If you know anything that could help their loved ones find closure, please visit our website.
Maisie Ojig and Shannon Alexander were enjoying the last long weekend of the summer. They visited with family and friends and were excited about a dance in Manawaki. The next day, Saturday, September 6, 2008, they were gone, without a trace, without reason. The losses left Maisie and Shannon's families in turmoil, struggling to find answers and keep the girls' stories alive. How has this loss affected the rest of the community? Claudette Kamanda, who is a band counselor for Maisie's home community of Kitigan Zibia Anishinaabe Nation, speaks to how the loss of these girls has affected the rest of the community. This is a community matter because the girls are our people. They are our little sisters that come from our community. When one of our community members is suffering, we, we do feel that because we are one large community. And, and our community members, we come together, we can put aside our differences and when we come together to help one another, to support one another, to provide that compassion, to provide that care, to lend a helping hand. Maisie's mom, Lori, advocates for her daughter and Shannon by organizing an annual vigil. I don't want uh, people forgetting. So uh, I do that every year for that purpose. And also to raise awareness, you know, because I, I try to invite, uh, you know, speakers to come that will grab media's attention. To support her family and the search for the girls, Maisie's aunt, Maria Jacko, developed a website in their honor. I, I wanted to make that um, website, you know, so any, anybody with any type of tips could email in. Um, I wanted it to be donations for a reward because, and even to this day, I know like somebody knows something and you know, like we just, they need to come forward. You know, they didn't just disappear without a trace. Director of the Kitigan Zibi First Nation Police, Gordon McGregor, agrees that the girls could not have disappeared without a trace and feels that there are answers out there. Uh, some uh, thought among all the police officers that were involved that someone is not saying something. Somebody must know something. Uh, somebody's either not saying anything, knows what has happened in this situation or this incident, and is just not telling us. It's, it's obvious. Sadly, after so many years with no answer to Maisie and Shannon's disappearance, the families can only speculate about the many scenarios that could involve the girls. Maisie's brother, Damon Jacko, has been caught in the swirl of rumors. Well, there was always rumors, you know, especially when that first, would like the first maybe couple months, People would be like, yeah, I heard this, you heard they went there, they're in the city, they're up north, they're, you know, they're out west. It was like, well, what do we believe? Maisie's aunt, Maria Jacko, has also heard the rumors. What if, what if, what if they were they're way out in BC? What if they're in Buffalo? What if they're, you know, overseas? I know there was, there was a story about that, you know, like with the ships and taking these young girls. I'm thinking, you know, if, if they're out there, you know, it, like, it would be nice to find them. The families are suffering. I, I see it in all my family members, you know. And rumors haunt Shannon's dad, Brian. Oh, I think they're here. I think they're over there. I don't like that, I think. 
I want facts. If you ain't got facts, don't bother talking to me. I just, I keep to myself from day to day and just hope that she's found. Even though Shannon and Maisie have been missing for more than a decade, Shannon's aunt, Juanita Alexander, still holds out hope. I don't think that she's dead. I don't think she's dead at all. I think she's living somewhere, and I think she's being held against her will. I think somebody needs to set her free. Her and Maisie. Maisie and Shannon's investigation has uncovered no answers. What is known in their case, and those of thousands of other Indigenous women across Canada, is that they are part of a national epidemic. As police director Gordon McGregor shares. This is just a symptom of bigger things. This is a symptom of uh, the lack of um, resources made available to our communities to deal with the issues that we are facing. We face alcohol, drug abuse situations, uh, broken homes, a lack of support towards the educational services which our children are are in need of, um, facilities, structure, everything uh, surrounding First Nations uh, and the communities. Band counselor Claudette Commanda agrees. Murdered and missing Indigenous women is a national tragedy and disgrace and it is time to put an end to this because this situation just didn't happen or start a year ago, or five years ago, or 10 years ago. This started, we're going back centuries. This was a colonial construct of the devaluing of our women. They believed that their women and children were property, they were chattel. Then they came here and they did the same thing to put our people as property of the crown. We must look at the cause and deal with that cause and put it to, and put it to rest and give justice where it's due, and justice is due to our, the first women and the first girls of this land that we call Canada. Maisie and Shannon were loved and valued, and their families are suffering, wondering what happened to them. Shannon's cousin Heather and Aunt Juanita, like the rest of Shannon and Maisie's families, are waiting for the girls to come home. We need to know where they are when we want them back. Even, even if they're not alive, we want them back because they deserve, they deserve the respect to come home. Shannon was a very precious little girl. Shannon deserves freedom. She deserves her life. She deserves the right to make choices. And whoever has her, should let her go. Just let her go. Maisie's mom, Lori, and Shannon's dad, Brian, have not given up hope that they will have the closure they long for. It's a big belief for me that someone knows something out there. Someone has to. You know, two girls don't just disappear off the face of the earth. And I need those people to come forward and speak because we just want our baby home, no matter how we have her. Please call us and tell us if you heard anything or seen anything. 
If you have any information that might help solve the case of the disappearance of Maisie Ojig and Shannon Alexander, visit our website. On the next episode of The Taken Podcast, we meet the family of Tanya Brooks, the mother of five, 36 years old, living in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Tanya made one last phone call to her daughter on the eve of Mother's Day 2009. The next morning, she was found murdered in the window well of a school. Tanya had been seen the night she died being pursued by a group of men, but no other details are known in her case. Is there someone out there who can provide the closure that Tanya's family longs for? For more information about the Taken series, resources, or to share information or tips you may have about any of these cases, visit our website at takentheseries.com or download the free Taken Knowledge Keeper app for iOS or Android. Taken, the podcast, Maisie Ojik and Shannon Alexander, was written by Jackie Black and Rebecca Gibson. It was produced by Hannah Johnson, Tyson Karen, Linda Nelson, Norm Lussier, and Martin Davis Kinnack. Executive produced by Kyle Irving and Rebecca Gibson, and hosted by executive producer Lisa Meaches. Taken, the podcast, was produced by Eagle Vision in 2020. For a full list of credits, visit our website. To watch full episodes of Taken, the television series, visit aptn.ca. Funding for Taken, the podcast, provided by the Government of Canada through Women and Gender Equality Canada.